Our Old Testament passage today again picks up in that beautiful book of Nehemiah. So chapter 9, verse 1, and let me click right into it for you. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. This is repentance. So this was an assembly of repentance. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, separation. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped. All right, so six hours of Bible study. <laughs> And six hours of repentance and worship. So that's a 12-hour service. Wow! And you think, I preach long sermons. But this is revival, all right? Six hours of Bible study, six hours of repentance and worship. A 12-hour service. And then they had 12 hours to eat, sleep, get ready, and come back. On the stairs of the Levites stood Joshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sarabiah, Bani, Chaniah, and they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. All right, no silent. No silent prayer. They cried out in a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Joshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sarabiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. I like that. Stand up and bless the Lord your God. Wow. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You made the heaven, the heaven of the heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. All right, so God is creator. And this is a common theme even in Paul's writing. God is creator. God is the sustainer. So God sustains. So people always, young people, you always worry about, is an asteroid going to wipe out the earth? Is global warming going to wipe out mankind? Will this pandemic eliminate the human race like the dinosaurs? Excuse me. God preserves all of them. Now, straight talk. Young people, every generation has this fear planted in their hearts. I remember when I was a young man, the big fear was a new ice age coming, okay? A new ice age. And now in my daughter's generation, it's global warming. And you go, can't these guys ever make up their mind? Every generation is gonna have somebody giving a panic attack. The world's food supply is gonna run out. In 12 years, global warming will wipe out planet Earth. God will preserve the Earth. I want you to remember, we know how this story ends. Remember the book of Revelation? We know how the story ends. It does not end in a meteor wiping out planet Earth. We know how this story ends. And we know 
that Jesus will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years in the millennium and will rule and reign with him. So please, young people, get, get over all of the fear that people want to put into your heart about global calamities and human mankind being wiped out. God made the earth and God will preserve all of them. And that includes human beings. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. And now here is incredible. You found his heart faithful to you and made with him a covenant. All right. Wow. I, I just, wow. God looks for a faithful heart. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things we can't control, but we can have a faithful heart. That we're just faithful. And the, the word here for faithful means reliable, dependable, consistent. I looked at a lady one time, and she was very upset with her husband because, you know, she worked in an office where there were guys with BMWs, and her husband had a pickup truck. And she looked at these guys, and in the office, they were so fancy in their clothes. And her husband was just, he was just a guy guy. I mean, he's just good old guy. And she said, you know, Pastor, I said, you, you need to, you need to back up for a minute. I said, um, have you looked at the marriages of these men that look so fancy that you're comparing your husband with? No. I said, why don't you take a look? And she came back and talked to me and she said, you know, pastor, you're right. They, they, they either are unmarried and they just have multiple affairs or they've been married and they're living with somebody else right now and they have no real commitment to that one. I said, you have a faithful-hearted husband. <laughs> you better be thankful. God doesn't look for the rich in heart. God doesn't even look for the brave in heart. He looks for the faithful heart. He found his heart faithful before him. May God find our hearts faithful. In everything that we do, we're reliable. Whatever God asks us to do, we're reliable. We may not be fancy. We may not be the best at it, but we're faithful. A person came to me one time and said, you know, Pastor Summer, all that person singing there behind you on Sunday morning? I said, yeah. Pastor, they can't sing at all. I said, you know, they're kind of older now, but you know what? They've been faithful in the choir for 30 years. You know what? May God find all of us that faithful. And made with him a covenant. God makes covenants with people who are faithful. Ah. To give his offspring the land with the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Gurkhanites. And you have kept your promise. For you are righteous. Why God keeps his promises. Why does God keep his promises? Because he's righteous. That's beautiful. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. So you saw and you heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew they acted arrogantly toward our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. Now, a couple of things there. Uh, God delivers from the arrogant. 
Now, if you ever want to see God work, just watch somebody start treating you arrogantly. When people act arrogantly towards you and try to destroy you out of their arrogance, you know what? They come crashing and burning down every time. God acts against arrogant actions against his people. And notice, you made a name for yourself. You didn't make a name for Israel. You made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they went through in the midst of the sea on the dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. God's guidance. Now, notice, God's guidance teaches trust. Every day he showed them where to go. Every day they learned trust. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you came down. There is theophany. This is a physical manifestation of the presence of God. You came down. And you spoke with them and gave them right rules and true laws. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by your servant, by Moses, your servant. Now, you made known to them your holy Sabbath. So the Sabbath is God's. This day off once a week, God says, you taught that to the people. Now remember, as slaves, no rest. See, that's one of the mark of being a slave. You, you, you're cruelly treated. There is no rest. But God said, you're not slaves anymore. So let me teach you how I live. This is my holy Sabbath. I, once a week, rest. I worked for six and rested on one. Now, he said, You've been slaves. You don't understand this. So let me make known to you how you were created to live. You were created with the need of a Shabbat. You were created with the need of a Sabbath. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, brought water to them out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Now, isn't that fantastic? They had to be ordered to receive the promise. <laughs> uh, sometimes we are so stubborn. They had to be ordered to receive the promise. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders. They did not keep in mind. Sometimes you have to keep things in mind. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. You know, there are some Christians today, they don't keep in mind the miracles God has done for them. And stiffened their neck, here we go again, stiffening the neck, and they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Wow. Man-appointed leaders. Lead us backwards. <laughs> you see, brothers and sisters, God has leaders that he has placed in your life. They will lead you forwards. 
a man-appointed leader will always lead us backwards. But you are a God ready. I like that. God is ready to forgive, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he did not forsake them. What do you do with a God like that? In spite of all of our screw-ups, God is ready to forgive. Have you ever thought about that? God lives on ready. <laughs> oh. God lives on ready. Ready to forgive. That's God. Now, maybe you screwed up this last week. God's ready to forgive. He's waiting for you. Oh, sometimes you read these passages and your heart just explodes with how wonderful God is. Ready to forgive. He's just waiting for you. Ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he did not forsake them. God's not going to throw you out. Even when they had made for them a golden calf he, they, and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. Yet in your great mercies, you did not forsake them. Sometimes your screw-ups go beyond comprehension. But in his great mercy, God does not forsake you. <laughs> God is more wonderful than you can ever comprehend, brothers and sisters. Never hold back coming to him for forgiveness because you think there's not enough forgiveness. He's living on ready to forgive you. And in his great mercies, he has not abandoned you. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of cloud by night to light for them the way in which they should go. All right, so God still led them in spite of rebellion. Wow. God still led them. When we're faithless, he's faithful. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Wow. The Holy Spirit instructs us. And did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. So God still provided in spite of their rebellion. <laughs> Have you ever watched a Christian who was just getting farther and farther into sin and rebellion and arrogance? And people would say, but God is still blessing them. Yep. That's because of how wonderful he is. It has nothing to do with their lifestyle. It's all about his great mercy, his slow to anger, his abounding in faithfulness. So, so never take his provision and his guidance as a, um, a symbol that you're right. <laughs> God, brothers and sisters, I wish I could put it into human words. God is more wonderful than your mind and my mind can begin to comprehend. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. For 40, I'll just write it simple, 40 years of sin. These people never did circumcise their children. These people never did offer a sacrifice to God. For 40 years, they just... I mean, they were just for 40 years. 
And God, look at what he did for them. You gave them kingdoms and people and allotted to them every corner. They took possession of the land of Sihung, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as stars of the heaven and brought them into the land. You had told their fathers to enter and possess. <laughs> so the descendants went in and possessed the land. Notice the descendants, not that generation. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, that would be water, vineyards, olive orchards, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became I got to highlight this one. And became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Oh, beloved. <laughs> so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Can I read that one more time? So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. He's never changed, brothers and sisters. He's never changed. <laughs> wow. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemy. So notice, their personal life, disobedient, rebellious, cast the law behind their back. Their public life, they killed the prophets. I mean, they gathered together and killed the men and women of God that God sent. This is why I teach young people, if you want to be popular, don't go into the ministry. The ministry is not for popularity. The ministry is, is different. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of their enemies who made them suffer. God did not make them suffer. Their enemies did. Not God. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you. <laughs> and you heard them. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Now, would you look at that? No matter how foolish the people have been, no matter how many times they screw up, God's still there for them. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. They never learned. This is the story of the judges, the roller coaster of serving God. When they're blessed, they turn back to their sin. And you abandoned them into the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and delivered them according to your mercies. <laughs> He's more wonderful than you can ever know. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments and sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them, and turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Now notice, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. Remember Romans. 
Okay, this, this is where the quote comes from Romans. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. So God uses the prophets. He warns them. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you just need to kill through and highlight all that. Just, ah, here come those great mercies again. You did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. That's God's character. Why is God so nice? Because that's who he is. Why is God so merciful? Because that's who he is. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. I like that. The great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Let not our hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Not God's fault. You see, when people repent, let me put it this way. True repentance does not blame others. True repentance faces, yeah. We are the ones who've done wrong. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave us. For even in their own kingdom, enjoying your great goodness that you gave them, and in a large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in a land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy his fruit and his good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, okay? They were slaves in own land. Wow. Yet its rich yield goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Now, not the kings of Israel. It went to the foreign kings. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on a sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Your love is like a river rushing over me. Rushing over me so strong Like a mountain Standing over me Standing over me So fear won't get the best of me I have hope eternally It's alright It's gonna be alright Your promises are here to stay Greater things are on the way It's alright Cause I know Your love is amazing, never-ending, unrelenting, I know Your love is amazing, no conditions, nothing missing, I 
like a fire Burning in my soul Burning in my soul So bright It breaks the darkness I know you're in control You're always in control So fear won't get the best of me I have hope eternally It's alright It's gonna be alright Your promises are here to stay Greater things are on the way It's alright Cause I know Your love is amazing Never ending Unrelenting I know Your love is amazing No conditions Nothing missing I know Your love is amazing Yeah! Testament passage today picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. Paul said, Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, listen to Paul's honesty and integrity here. He says, I have no command from the Lord. He said, I'm just going to be straight up with you. He said, I have no command from the Lord. but I give my judgment as one whom by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul said, he said, I'm trustworthy. I can be trusted. He said, my judgment can be trusted, but he's honest. Now, sometimes as a pastor, you have to look at people and go, you know what? I don't have any scriptures to tell you on that. I don't have any black and white I can point to on that, but let me give you my judgment. And usually when I tell you things like that, remember I say, now listen, you can leave this in the trash can on the way out the door, okay? Because this is just what I think. But sometimes you have to realize that as pastors, there's not every situation in life that we have a scripture and verse on. There's not every situation that we can say, okay, this is exactly what God wants. Paul said, 
I don't have a command from the Lord on this. He said, but let me give you my opinion. Let me give you my judgment. I think in view of the present distress, now here's the key. This is the key to understanding everything that comes after. In view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as it is. Now, what is this present distress? Well, this present distress is a growing persecution. From Rome. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is written in around 55 to 57 AD. It's during Paul's extended stay in um, Ephesus. Uh, you're having a growing problem in Jerusalem. All right, I mean, Jerusalem is beginning to have some huge, huge persecution situations. All of Israel, there's a revolt brewing. And sometime in around, oh, 65, 66 uh, AD, we begin a huge Jewish revolt. Okay, a huge Jewish revolt. Now, then we have 70 AD, the leveling of Jerusalem. The temple is completely destroyed. Jerusalem is burnt. Jerusalem is flattened. I mean, it's just... It's just flattened. The city is completely destroyed. Not one stone left upon another. So this is, this is the persecution that is now growing. So Paul said, in view of this growing persecution, he said, things are getting hard. And remember, Jews and Christians, they pretty much suffered the persecution together from Rome. Okay, this is, this is pretty much a together thing, all right? He said, now, in light of this horrible persecution that's happening, he said, are you bound to a wife? Don't abandon her. Don't seek to be free. So this is if you're married. He said, are you free from a wife? Here's unmarried. Do not seek a wife. He said, now, listen, with, with this persecution going on right now, this is just going to be an incredibly difficult time. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. All right, now that's for everybody. Pastors can be married. Cephas, Paul, Paul said Cephas was married. He said, don't I have the right to take a believing wife like, like Peter does, like Cephas does? He said, it's, it's not a sin to get married. And he said, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you from that. He said, listen, getting married, having babies in a season of persecution is going to be difficult. Now, you're talking about a man who has been through persecution from both sides. He has led persecution. He has put husbands and wives. He's seen how you can turn, you know, you can turn a man by taking his wife. He said, you know, I've, I've led persecution and I've been through persecution. He said, please, this is, he said, you're, you're going to have worldly troubles. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none. Let those who mourn as though they are not mourning. Let those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Let those who buy as though they had no goods. So in other words, Paul says, focus. He said, in, in this short season that we have, this needs to be a focused season. He said, whether we're talking about marriage, whether we're talking about grief, whether we're talking about happiness because of provision, whether we're talking about buying and selling in business, he said, 
Right now, you, you need to get focused on the things of God. This, this is a rough season. And you know, to be blunt, in the season we're in right now, I would tell you the same thing. We, we need to get focused. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. He said, hey, you got a bunch of business. He said, for or because. Every time you see for, you can say because. This shows purpose. The present form of this world is passing away. He said, what, what you see around right now isn't going to be here forever. He said, I want you to be free from anxieties. <laughs> now, Paul said, you just have to understand, if you get married, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. How do I get a roof over my wife's head? How do I make sure that there's food for the kids, pay the tuition fees and everything else? But he said, if you're not married, you know what? There's no worries right now. In this season of persecution, there's less worries if you don't get married. You're not trying to take care of a family also. So again, I told you at the beginning, the whole key to this is this present crisis. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You're always concerned about, you know, how do I make sure that he's got dinner? How do I make sure that the house is good? He said, you're, you're going to have divided interest. He said, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraint upon you. Now, Paul said, here is key to pastor's judgment. He said, I'm saying this for your benefit, but not to lay a restraint upon you. When, when I share something with you as a pastor that is not flowing from Scripture, there could be no restraint laid upon you. Okay, it's just my opinion. He said, I think my opinion is trustworthy, but he said, it's just my opinion. I'm trying to say this for your benefit, but not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided attention to the Lord. Now, Paul said, listen, if you go get married right now in this growing persecution, because Paul understood this is, this is growing. Jesus has got some prophecies that are about to be fulfilled. And when you go back and you study Matthew, there are prophecies where not one stone will be left upon another. There are prophecies that are about to be fulfilled. And Paul understood the spiritual significance of his time. He said, listen, this is going to be difficult. These days ahead are going to be really, really hard. And I want to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, and if his passions are strong and it as to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. Hey, guys, it's better to go ahead and get married than to put your hands where they don't belong and to do things that you shouldn't be doing with your girlfriend. He said, hey, better to get married. Now, now parents, I would say that to you. Sometimes you make these young people stay unmarried for so long. You extend their courtship because the family says, no, now you've graduated college. We want you to work for the next 10 years and put your, all of your brothers and sisters and cousins and nephews and nieces through college. And then after everybody graduates college, then you can get married maybe in about 10 years. Now, you know what, parents? That's not natural. You're, you're putting something on some of the young people that they cannot bear. And then we're going to have secret marriages, and then we're going to have hands where they don't belong, and these kids are going to live in condemnation and guilt. You know, I'm not saying let them get married as soon as they graduate, but I am saying let's not make the courtship so long that, you know, problems are going to happen. 
But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. He said, you know, you can keep your girlfriend as your girlfriend, but you got to keep yourself control. So firmly established in his heart, no necessity, desires under control, determined in his heart. He said, okay, you'll do well. It, but again, you got to keep those desires under control too. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, this is Paul's judgment. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Now again, only a believer. Young people, you do not court, nor do you accept courtship proposals from unbeliever. Only in the Lord. Okay? So a woman can get remarried, but the same rules apply only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. He said, in my judgment. Now, Paul said, in my judgment, you'll be happier to be single. If, if you are a woman who has been married, you've had your children, and your husband dies, he said, you know, most scholars believe that Paul was married and his wife had left him. He said, I think she'll be happier if she remains as she is. He said, this is my judgment. But again, remember, the key to a pastor's judgment is... He's trying to say this for our benefit, but not to lay any restraint upon you. Verse 35. Let's go to Proverbs for a little bit of wisdom now. Proverbs chapter 8, beginning with verse 17. Remember, our context is wisdom speaking. Wisdom says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. All right, so you must love wisdom. You must seek wisdom. And what do you find with wisdom? What is with wisdom? Riches are with wisdom. Honor is with wisdom. Enduring wealth is with wisdom. And righteousness is with wisdom. Wow. The wisdom package or wisdom's partners, however you want to call it. Now, beloved, would you look at that? If you will seek wisdom, you will also find riches. Do you remember Solomon when he said, Father, give me wisdom to lead this great people? And what came along with the wisdom? Riches and honor. See, you think that somehow God just did that. Yes, he did that. But he's also promised that riches and honor are with wisdom. When Solomon prayed for wisdom, riches and honor came with it. And notice, enduring wealth and righteousness. Now, we understand the righteousness part, but enduring wealth. You know the beautiful thing about people who walk in wisdom? Their prosperity continues to grow. Their wealth endures. Now, now, sometimes you wonder, is a person walking in wisdom? And I, I know hard times happen to everybody. Been there, walk through hard times. Remember the 80s and 90s. But you know, when you look back across life, 
you should be able to see a person and their wealth endures because they didn't get it by corruption. They didn't get it by stealing. Wealth endures when it comes through wisdom. My fruit, all right, this is what wisdom produces. What wisdom produces. What wisdom produces. My fruit is better than gold and even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in paths of justice. This is how to recognize it. In fact, James has a lot to say about this. I walk in the way of righteousness. You're not going to find God's wisdom in corruption. You're not going to find God's wisdom in perverse speech. You're going to find God's wisdom in the way of righteousness and in paths of justice. Granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Ah, <laughs> here again is the fruit of wisdom. Wisdom will bring an inheritance to those who love it, and wisdom will fill your treasuries. So love wisdom and seek wisdom. Now, brothers and sisters, please, I know people don't like this today because they say, oh, it's hard times, you shouldn't be talking about prosperity. This is just what the Bible says. If you don't like the book, talk to the guy that wrote it. His name is God, and he's a good God. Amen. So love wisdom, seek wisdom. It will bring an inheritance and fill your treasuries and enduring wealth. Now that's good news. All right. We'll see you tonight as we get back into 1 Corinthians 7 o'clock.